everyone, and welcome to today's podcast, Where Does Your Journey Stem From?, hosted by myself, Dr. Karina Minardi. Today, we have a wonderful guest who is a scientist at Q2 Solutions, Amal Dadi. Please welcome to the stage, Amal. Hey, Amal, how's it going? Hi, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So Amal Dadi is a biologist with broad experience in basic science research, clinical testing, and environmental education and advocacy. She earned uh, bachelor's degrees in French and biology from Grinnell College and recently completed a master's degree in science policy, bioethics, and tech ethics from Duke University. She currently works as a scientist at Q2 Solutions, where she conducts laboratory work supporting clinical trials. Amal is passionate about science communication, public outreach, and research implementation. In her free time, she enjoys hiking, cooking, climbing, and conversations with her very chatty cat, who's probably going to be a co-guest at some point, hopefully tonight. Uh, but thank you again, Amal. Happy to have you. Um, excited to hear about your story. So let's just jump right in and um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, um, thank you for the introduction. Um, I can almost guarantee that Peach is going to pop in at some point. She's hiding in the room with me somewhere. So um, yeah, so my name is Amal Dadi. Um, as you mentioned, I work as a scientist at Q2 Solutions currently, um, primarily doing lab work to kind of support clinical trials and therapeutic development. Um, but I consider myself just very broadly a biologist um, because I've had the wonderful opportunity, honestly, to explore a lot of different avenues in the field. I've done research in neuroscience and nephrology, basic science research. I conducted um, clinical testing during like peak COVID <laughs> for a university. I've done environmental education at a number of different um, institutions, the Botanical Garden Museum. Um, I worked at a forest nonprofit um, about a year or two ago, um, working on a public health project for them. So working on the intersection between um, human medicine and human health and environmental issues. Um, so yeah, I think I've um, really, within the field of biology, I think I've taken my time to kind of meander and explore um, a lot. And I um, feel very grateful to have had all the opportunities that I've, that I've had, so. <laughs> Well, that's, I think, Amal is the scientist, right? Uh, yeah. So who's, who's Amal as the person? Me as a person? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I think I'm someone that uh, is just generally very curious about other people and about the world, um, which I think is part of what really attracts me to science generally. Um, but I think me as a person, I mean, I'm you know, quite social. Um, I do a lot of equity and racial justice work and social justice work as well, which I also think intersects with my scientific background. Um, as you mentioned, I really like hiking. I love cooking. I love climbing. I'm doing 100 hikes this year, so I'm on like 84, I think, so far. It's going to be a little bit of a scramble to get there by the end of December, um, but we'll get there. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I think I'm just someone that generally I've I've moved around a bunch. I visited like 34 states so far. Um, travel a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> so well, and I find it interesting that you have a dual degree in French and biology. Yeah. So right. why? Everyone asks that. 
Like literally every time I mention that, they're just like, why? Um, I went to, so for people that are not familiar, um, Grinnell College is a very tiny liberal arts school. So for context, I actually grew up in a DC suburb. Um, so very cosmopolitan, metropolitan. And then I spent four years in like the Southwest part of a cornfield in Iowa. The town is 10,000 people. The school's like 1700. So it's very remote. It's very tiny, but I chose to go there um, because Grinnell has what's called an open curriculum. Um, so there is one required class for all of us. Um, and then beyond that, as long as you fulfill the requirements for a degree, you can choose to take whatever else you want. And so for me, I think I was very attracted to that academic environment because I uh, have a very hard time focusing on just like learning about one thing, studying one thing. I, again, just kind of like am curious about everything and I really want to learn about all sorts of things. So in that college context, it was actually quite common for people to major in fields that were just very different, right? Um, language and a science or like history and, you know, art or whatever. Um, and so I, <laughs> I did French because um, I, I had to take two years of it in like my public high school um, of a language. And I think my choices were like Spanish, which I, you know, everyone is doing Spanish. So I was like, I don't want to do Spanish. Everyone's doing that. Chinese, which I was like, that seems really hard. So no. Um, and then French. So I did two years of French. And then I was kind of like, and this is like my own mentality. I was like, if I have to take two years of this, I may as well like try to be fluent. Um, so I ended up like continuing throughout, you know, high school and then majoring in it. I um, studied abroad in France when I was in college, which was like my semester off of science. Um, yeah, but I think, you know, the funny thing is like people, people really, again, everyone asks like, why would you do a language and a science? And I think for me, reflecting back on it, I really feel that the language degree actually made me a much better scientist and a much more well-rounded scientist, right? My French skills made my English better, my communication better, because in the process of studying a language, you think really carefully about, you know, your word choice, your grammar, your structure, just the intention of what you're trying to communicate to the other person, right? And that is very translatable to science in terms of trying to break down complex concepts and sort of get your point across to whoever your audience is, whether that's, you know, fellow STEM people or just like a general lay person that may or may not have the specific background that you do. Um, I think that it forced me to do a really, more comparative like cultural study in terms of just like values, customs, ethics, morals, right? And compare them from like the Francophone sphere to the Anglosphere. Um, and I think that's also very beneficial for a scientist to have that perspective as well, right? In terms of just thinking about how your work is going to impact different groups of people and also bearing in mind that, you know, the folks that you are working with may come to the work that you're doing with a different frame of reference than you have. Um, and so I think that there's actually a lot of intersection, frankly, with, with languages, with science, with science and anything, you know what I mean? I think I'm a big advocate of um, just cross-training and like comparative study and kind of following like where your curiosity guides you. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a linear path or a direct connection to what you are working in. But I think that there's always like intersections that can happen and like synergy that can can come up. I 
Um, as I talk to a lot of people, you know, the, the, the difference comes down to, okay, do I go to a, a large R1 university or do I want to go to a liberal arts university? And, you know, when I think about this, it's, it's you know, the, the curriculums usually are the same in the fact that the core requirements are the same, right? But you, there's some intricacies around studying a, a whole person that's usually offered at the liberal arts school. So I was wondering if you can comment on that. Yeah, um, I, at this point I, I've worked at several large R1 universities. I got my master's degree from a large R1 university. Um, so, you know, my, my liberal arts experience really is just like that degree. But I think my like experience with like, you know, R1 like, research-driven academia as a whole is honestly longer um, at this point, but I feel very grateful to have had the liberal arts focus as an undergrad because I think that really is the best thing you can do for a young person is just teach them how to think, right, is to be able to take a concept and break it down and give them the tools and the skills that they need to learn other information if they choose to, right? If they choose to seek it out. Um, I think that it was, I mean, there, and to be fair, like there's there are certain things I think that are advantageous for, you know, undergraduates that are at a big R1 university, right? I had a difficult time as an undergraduate um, finding you know, opportunities to be able to do research in a more formal way, um, just because they were so limited, right? Not only because it was a liberal arts school, but also because it was just so isolated, right? It's very rural. Um, but I was really grateful for, I think, the diversity of Grinnell. When I was looking at colleges, that was like one of my big factors, um, was just somewhere that was, you know, racially, financially uh, diverse. Um, I think I was really looking for academic rigor, which I feel like the liberal arts curriculum is, um, you know, generally very rigorous, right? And it attracts a lot of people that are very, you know, intellectually curious and they're able to have those conversations and debates. Um, yeah, so I think that, you know, my, I, I feel very fortunate to have been able to go to a liberal arts school as an undergraduate. I don't know that if I was like 18 again, like facing like the choices of colleges that I had, right? Like maybe like one thing, you know, star could have aligned a little bit differently and I would have had like a different array and like might've made a different decision. I don't think I necessarily as an 18 year old, like quite understood the difference, but I think, you know, with hindsight and some age and having had exposure to um, both sets of institutions, I think, I think it's a really good option for young people to do the liberal arts thing. <laughs> No, that's good. That's good to know. And, and as you said, you transitioned over to an R1 university for your master's. Yeah, um, I worked at them as well. So that's the other thing. I worked at, you know, Wild Cornell Northwestern um, University of Illinois Chicago. So I've, and that like, was in between, right? Yes, that was in between the master's and the undergrad degree. So what did that opportunity of taking that sort of break, it's not necessarily a gap, but, you know, get, getting that experience, what did that, you know, teach you? What did what did it solidify in you? Yeah. Um, I think, I think I'm also a big advocate in like taking breaks in your education. Um, I, 
And the other thing is like my master's degree was a little bit more open-ended, right? And so I think for people that know that they want to do something really specific, right? Like maybe like be a doctor, you know, um, or like a research scientist with a PhD. I think that there is maybe an argument to be made that going straight from like the undergrad to the graduate degree um, could just be like a very streamlined path. But I think a lot of people will sometimes to the masters because that feels like the most logical path. And I think that being able to take some time in between furthering my education to just like work and like exist in the real world and like get my finances in order, get my life in order, like, you know what I mean? Like be a young adult, right? Um, developing a career, right? Not just an education, but like a career. I think that when I chose later on to further my education and do the master's degree, I had a much better idea of why, right? Of what I was looking to get, of what kind of skills, what kind of exposure, what kind of credential that I wanted and how I would be able to use that in the future because I had the real world experience, right? Um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, just within my cohort of people in my master's degree, um, I think that those of us that had a little bit of work experience prior to going back to school had an easier time of it just because we were, again, more aware of like what we were trying to find with this. Um, and so, you know, at a school like Duke, right, which is, you know, well-regarded and very well-funded, there's opportunities to do anything really that you want to, right? There's so much available to you that you can kind of like dig in and get your hands dirty with. And um, I think it can be easy to get lost in that if you're not like focused, right? If you don't have an idea of like, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. And I think that like getting real world experience is, you know, really useful for figuring that out. Um, I also think that just like you, you never get less qualified, you know? <laughs> so like, if you want to go back for the degree at some point, like it's, you know, it's fine, right? These institutions are still going to be there. You're still going to be able to do that. Um, but I think for me, I was really burnt out after my undergraduate degree. And so I think like taking a few years also just helped me like get in the mindset of like, okay, <laughs> once I felt ready to grow and to further myself in that way, then I felt like very equipped, right, to go back to school. But I definitely needed the like, I think I took like four years there in between four or five years. So I definitely need that time. Yeah, no, I took a, I took a break as well. Um, yeah. And it was, it was nice because it made me realize that I missed research. So yeah. I completely did not do any research. And um, so that was actually a good like solidification that, okay, no, I need to go do this PhD thing because um, research was um, something that I missed. Um, so as, as we mentioned in your um, bio, you went to Duke afterwards, um, science policy, bioethics, and tech ethics. Um, so I'm really curious sort of what was your reasoning for choosing Duke? What was your reasoning for choosing the program? Um, what did you want to, you know, you talked about skills and exposure in selecting a program. Um, so is that, was that the main priority for you? Yeah, I, um, 
so I was working for, um, I think I mentioned I had like a bunch of different like, you know, jobs, side hustles kind of here and there, different like things I was, I was trying to do. But my main work after undergrad and before grad school was I was the um, manager of like a really small startup nephrology lab at Northwestern. And so um, my PI was coming from a postdoc. Um, she started in January. I was hired and started in February and I was like the only wet lab employee for like eight months. So we were kind of just like building this thing from the ground up together. Very stressful. Um, great experience. I got like a lot of like, you know, exposure to just like different like research techniques and like ways of doing things in the lab and kind of also just the process of like setting a laboratory up. I, I don't think that the management aspect of it and the setup aspect of it is something that you really consider when you're just like a scientist working at the bench but like someone had to put those systems in place that you're doing someone had to literally just like put everything on the shelf decide where it goes like make all the protocols whatever right um figure out like who at the university to go to when you have like this question or this issue um so i think that was very challenging but very fun um at the same time um just because i got to you know, wear a bunch of different hats in this role, right? But I think after like three, I think it was like there for like three and a half years, um, the, I got to a point with academic research specifically where I just sort of felt like I was, there's a cycle where you're like, you know, banging your head against the wall, trying to make things work, right? Gathering your data, you know, like analyzing it, putting it into some sort of narrative that like makes sense, right? And then with the goal of publishing in a journal, right? Journal, hopefully with like a high impact factor where it gets like a lot of eyes in your field, but like realistically, like no one really reads these outside of like the same three people in your very specific subspecialty that are like all arguing over like the same point all the time. Um, and I think that I had chosen to do research and like, frankly, taken like a pay cut to do academic research specifically, because I felt like I wanted to do something that was going to be meaningful and impactful for society as a whole. And I don't think that I felt like the system of academic research that I had been laboring in both after college, but frankly, even during college when I had like internships and stuff that were like in similar environments, like similar institutions, you know what I mean? Um, I just didn't feel like it was super impactful for people that were not already within that field. Um, and so actually the Duke program is like the only one that I ended up applying to. Um, I wanted, I knew I wanted to do science policy. I knew I wanted to do something that was a little bit more focused on research implementation, right? And I wanted to do a program that would give me the tools and the skill set and exposure to be able, you know, as a scientist to actually translate my work into actionable, you know, things that are going to impact people in a positive way, right? And more than that, that people will be able to understand, because I think there's also a gulf between, you know, when when you apply as a scientist, as a lab for these grants, there's a section in these grants that lists, right, how are you going to disseminate your information? Um, you know, you need to write up a plan for that. 
but the plan is only to disseminate it among other scientists, right? Which I feel like is a very big gap. If I'm doing research that is going to, you know, that I'm hoping is going to have a positive impact on society, then I want people outside of my field to understand that as well, right? To understand, to hopefully support it, to hopefully bring up concerns if there's concerns about it, right? Um, this should be a dialogue. Um, and so I picked, yeah, I mean, I, I think when I was looking, I looked at a bunch of different programs, I was looking at a bunch of different schools, I think that um, this is a very unique program. Um, there's two tracks primarily. So there's people that come at this from more of a biology uh, standpoint, wanting to do, um, you know, learn about science policy from that. But then there's also the tech side, right? There's people that come at it from more of a tech focus because frankly, technology is influencing everything, including, you know, traditional biological research or like medicine. Um, when you think about how, you know, AI or like, large language models or, you know, any of these tools, CRISPR, right, is also technology is really transforming how we do biology and medicine and healthcare and environmental issues and research. Um, so yeah, I, I think that I picked the program. My, my thought process going into it was like, well, if I don't get into this one, or if like, I can't finance it, because they won't, you know, give me enough scholarship, like, I'll just apply to more next year. Um, but then I ended up working out. So <laughs> Now, science policy is um, really critical because not a lot of um, scientists are in science policy, which I know is uh, not, I guess it is kind of hypocritical in that you would assume that more scientists would actually be formulating policy based off of scientific fact, but usually it's actually policymakers who are driving science policy, or at least that's kind of, unfortunately, how I have um experienced it but yeah oh, I, I'm, I'm curious though because you've spent time in neuro you spend time in nephro environmental basic botany um I think there's others that you have mentioned uh wet lab I mean you yeah. kind of run the gamut of biology right so you know why did you kind of why did you expose yourself to all of that stuff and and how yeah well, I, I guess first, before, before I answer that, um, to your first point, um, I, I agree that I think that a lot of, you know, historically, I think that there's been a lot of policymakers, not necessarily with a science background, that are like driving the science policy. And then I think scientists, um, whether it's by, you know, cultural learning, like social pressure, there's always been, I think, a little bit of a distance, right? A little bit of like an ivory tower, kind of you're laboring at like your computer or your bench and like doing your work, but like not necessarily concerned with how, you know, where it goes from there. Um, I think that, you know, I, I think it's a little bit of a departure for a scientist to be wanting to explicitly do science policy, just like from historically how it's gone. But I also don't think I'm the only young scientist that is having this inclination, right? Um, I feel like the younger generation of STEM focused people are very concerned with the impact that their work is going to have. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I hear a lot more about like science and society, science policy, right? Just like those intersections. Um, now than I did, you know, even five or 10 years ago, um, when I was kind of first like getting off the ground in a career. Um, so yeah, that said, um, how did I end up exposing myself to a lot of stuff? I, I think I just moved from 
I, I actually wanted to be a veterinarian, if you believe it, from age like four to 20. <laughs> I really wanted to be a vet um, to the point where like I literally worked at a vet's office for like three years. And, you know, I like did all the prereqs for it in undergrad. And like I talked to a bunch of veterinarians and eventually after all that decided um, wasn't for me. Um, so really difficult career both to get into and also to sustain. It's not an easy, easy thing. Um, but in the process of doing that, you know, Grinnell, the biology curriculum is actually very research focused. Um, so, you know, in my aspiration to be an veterinarian, obviously I was taking a lot of, a lot of bio classes and I also just like really enjoyed bio. Um, but the, the way that they do it there is the first biology class that you take is actually a research focused class. So you're working under a professor and you're kind of just like developing experiments and research protocols to like basically align with their area of expertise. So it's not really lecture focused beyond like learning about their specific subject matter, um, but you're spending a lot of time in, in lab, right? You're spending a lot of time outside of lab, like formulating your plan and you're spending a lot of time in lab, like executing it. Um, as opposed to, you know, I think they call it like a flipped model. I think traditionally it's more like you do a lot of lecture for the first like couple years and then you get into lab and do the research, right? And so, you know, I think for a lot of people, um, did not like the research part. Um, I realized that I was really good at it. <laughs> I both enjoyed it and also was quite good at it. I think there's, um, you know, just like curiosity, right? Aspect of it really appeals to me. Kind of trying to problem solve and troubleshoot really appeals to me. I think there's like a little bit of perfectionism as well, frankly, um, that, you know, I have that lends itself very well to lab work actually. It's not always a good thing, but I think in lab it tends to be a good thing. Um, yeah, so I went from like wanting to be a veterinarian to like getting this research closer really early in my college career, the same time that I was like moving away from veterinary science as a path, I was moving into research um, and then trying to sort of find my niche there. So started out with neuro, worked at a nephrology lab, did clinical testing, <laughs> was working at like, you know, volunteering at a, at a nature museum um concurrently and then when i got to duke i started working as like an environmental educator at, like a botanical garden here um i did a bunch of other stuff i like i ta'd for like an art science lab that was really cool um so you know i think that i think i've been able to explore a lot of different avenues of it because you know a i can't really make up my mind clearly on like what i want to focus on <laughs> Um, but B, I, I personally feel like there is sometimes more value in learning what you don't like than there is in knowing what you do like, um, right? <laughs> and that just comes from being exposed to a lot of different things, saying yes to opportunities, seeking them out, right? Developing these skills that you can then translate to different different areas and different fields and just kind of like going at it and seeing like, okay, let me try this out for a little bit, figure out what appeals to me, figure out what I kind of want to move away from and then go from there. Um, and I think that's just mostly been my focus for how I've tried to develop my career is, you know, once I like let go of the 16 year dream of being a veterinarian, I was kind of just like off in the wilderness for a little bit. So I was like, all right, it's time to explore. Um, and I think actually that has been 
I think it's been beneficial both in terms of just like allowing me to like exist as a human honestly while you're like developing like career skills and a job I think there's a lot of pressure to kind of like know what you want to do in the future at all times and like at this point I honestly don't even have like a five-year plan for myself I figure I'll just continue to you know figure it out and there's nothing wrong with that either um, as long as you're always moving towards something yeah, moving forward. But I think, you know, I love that you said um, that you're figuring out what you don't like, because that is just as important as you're figuring out what you do like. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's honestly more important sometimes, because there might be mm -hmm. something in what you do like that you later on realize, oh, that's not so great. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah. So. So you're now a scientist at Q2 Solutions. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and how it has aligned with your background? Yeah. Um, so this is my uh, first job post-master's post degree. Um, also very burnt out after the master's degree. So like I took a little bit of break. Uh, pretty new to this, this gig. I've been here about four months now. Um, I think... I think this has been a good fit for me for right now because it's very, you know, it's leaning on my laboratory background, right? Which I do have an extensive just like wet lab background. So I'm primarily just running um, amino assays, just like different like laboratory tests, right? On clinical samples, um, you know, patient samples from clinical trials or preclinical trials. Um, and so, you know, it's, very related to my laboratory work, but I also actually feel like it's very related to my degree as well, right? I got the bioethics science policy degree and just everything about how clinical research specifically is structured. I mean, it's super highly regulated and it's very highly regulated because unfortunately, right, there have been a lot of cases of gross misconduct, right, of people doing <laughs> this research on human subjects in ways that we now at least consider to be wildly, wildly unethical. But at the time you did not have the guardrails, right? The, the legal processes in place that would guarantee some measure of safety for participants in trials, some measure of accountability, right? For researchers who don't consider the impact of their work on, you know, the patients that they're, that they're working with, right? And so the environment that I'm in right now is the by far the most highly regulated um, work environment I've ever been in. Um, so for me, it's actually really interesting as a scientist working in this highly regulated sphere, right, that has like the science policy background to be like, okay, this is why we do things the way we do, right? Like, this is why I have to do, you know, all this documentation. This is why we have like GCP, good clinical practice, GLP, good laboratory practice, right? Um, this is like why, you know, on the ground, right? Like there's very specific ways that you that you function um, to be able to comply with these policies and these regulations. Um, yeah. <laughs> Do you anticipate, um, you know, sticking with this for the long term or is this a good thing right now? We'll see what happens. I, that's a really good question. I, I think that 
I think that like most of my work experience has been, this is a good thing right now and we'll see what happens, right? As long as I feel like I'm learning and growing in a role, right? Um, I'll, I'll stick with it. You know, I want to be able to absorb as much as I can, right? While again, I'm figuring out what I do and what I don't like. Um, and then, you know, take the lessons, skills, the context that I've made at one place and hopefully be able to, you know, apply them wherever I go next. Um, I think that long, long term, honestly, I've become, um, it's really interesting as a, I think as a young person that was interested in biology, um, I at least feel like I was fed a little bit of a narrative that like biomedical science and biomedical research was the secure path, right? It was the financially stable path. Um, and, you know, the more macro side of biology, right? The evolutionary biology, the environmental science, the ecology, um, those issues were, or those focuses were, you know, less, I mean, I guess it's just like less, less able to pay the bills, you know? And I think that that's changing, um, both in terms of like, is it financially feasible to be in a more environmentally focused field, but also is it like, where's the need? Um, and so I think for me as someone that is attracted to research, again, because I want to be able to make a difference, right, in society, in the world, and to be able to use the skills that I've, that I've gained to be able to help. Um, I feel like climate, biodiversity loss, like environmental, degradation, I think, are the pressing issues of our time, um, you know, more so than medical advancement, which has been, you know, incredible in the past century, especially. Um, but yeah, I would love to be able in the future, I think, to do research that is more focused on environmental issues. But that also the other thing I will say is that, like, I don't think that precludes it being health focused either right? Um, <laughs> which people don't realize. So I did, you know, I worked at, um, during my master's degree, I, I did a, a summer job at this uh, organization called Dogwood Alliance. Um, so they are an advocacy organization focused on um, promoting sustainable use of forests in the South specifically. Um, and I did a project with them um, looking at the public health impacts of forests, <laughs> of which there are a ton, right? Um, it's really crazy. People that live near forests are, um, you know, less likely to have all sorts of conditions from COVID to heart disease, to cancers, to respiratory issues, to mental health problems. Um, so, you know, our the health of our communities is very tied into the health of our environment. Health are, you know, animals also, right? Our livestock, our pets is very tied into the health of our environment. Um, and so I think, you know, I would love to explore that aspect a little bit more in the future, I think. I love that. I think um, that's spot on. And my question was an indirect question of, <laughs> do you see a PhD in your future uh, or not? Probably, honestly, just cause like I'm a nerd that likes school. I think I need like a lot of time between the degrees because um, yeah, I mean, it's just hard. It's just like, I think school's hard. I honestly think like working full time 
uh, for me at least, has been a lot less stressful than when I'm in academics. And maybe that's because like I have a bit of a maximalist approach to academics. I just try to like do all the things. Um, as there's so much opportunity to explore when you're, you know, a student at a university. Um, but yeah, no, I think I'm taking, I think I'm, I'll probably get the PhD again eventually. Um, just because I, I really enjoy bio as a field. I like learning. Um, I think I really value being able to get that kind of education for sure. And like, frankly, having the doctrine for my name would be nice. But I, um, I think I was very well served by taking some time you know, after undergrad before I went to do the master's. And so I think I'm kind of doing the same thing right now is, you know, seeing, exploring a little bit, seeing what I like, seeing what I don't. And then there's no rush to get the PhD either, you know? <laughs> no, you're just more qualified with, as time progresses. Right? Exactly. So. Um, and we're nearing the end of our time, but I do want to ask you one last question. So you've given a lot of advice. You've given a lot of uh, things to think about and to digest for the listeners. Um, I'd be curious, however, you know, if you were to roll back the time clock to 10 years ago, you know, what kind of words of wisdom would you have given yourself um, to pursue either a STEM career um, or a master's or pretty much anything, anything in STEM? Yeah. Um, so 10 years ago, I was reveal my age, I guess. Uh, 10 years ago, I would have been either right have just started college or being like a senior in high school deciding what I wanted to do. Um, I think, I think if anything, the advice I would have given myself at the time is just not to be as concerned about it and just kind of enjoy the process of learning and exploring um, more you know, which is hard, you know, to say, I think, to like a stressed out, like, senior, like early college person. Um, but I I think that would have been, I think that would have been my main advice, honestly, is to just be a little bit less rigid in my thinking of like, what is ultimately going to contribute the most to my career development right because it didn't end up being like all the vet school prereqs that I did you know um it ended up being like as I mentioned like I do think the French degree really helped with my science background and the skills you know I think that for I think there's a lot of pressure in STEM fields to be just like very narrow-mindedly focused on like not even just like like science technology like math but like just like your very specific field within that right and the best scientists and frankly the most interesting people that i've met are the ones who are able to take a step back from that and enjoy and value you know like research and topics and studies beyond just that very very narrow focus right um so I think my advice to myself, honestly, is like a young STEM person would been like, take art classes. <laughs> Just like take more art classes, truly. Um, because there's a, lot, there's a lot of intersections with that too. Take more history classes, take more sociology classes, take more, you know, and I had the, you know, again, I had the opportunity to do that at, at Grinnell. Um, 
for sure. I think I took classes in like 12 different divisions or something. So it was a lot, but um, it would have been, I probably would have told myself like, just take more, <laughs> just take more of those. Um, the art, especially. Um, yeah. I, I do regret a little bit not learning to draw in a more like formal way, because I think that there's a lot in terms of like the process of like doing art and doing science that is overlapping, right? In terms of just like very close observation um, of something. And so, you know, yeah, that might, that actually is a skill set I've been thinking of trying to try to pick up. Fascinating to me how many folks that I've talked to in the recent past who have art interests. Yeah. Um, I think, and it's, mixed media I mean a whole bunch of art it's either art or music which I kind of lump together as art um which I was like oh my goodness I mean that is that's amazing but if you think about it it's very um you're inclined to have curiosity and creativity you're creating you know a methodology to actually answer a question I mean that is the creative process oh for sure itself. yeah so I when I was at Duke I you know, I also just, I, an educator. Um, so I had like three different TA ships during my master's program, one of which was like this art science laboratory. So it was like, it was a neuroscience professor and two art professors that banded together in this like weird trio. Um, they're great, but um, yeah, we like pimped out the neuroscience professor's laboratory. And so it was like a fully stocked science laboratory with like an artistic output. Um, attracted all sorts of students from like all over the university as well. Um, but there's definitely a ton of overlap, right? There's a ton of overlap in, you know, even just the process, like the scientific method, right? Like observing, recording your observations, drawing conclusions, and then kind of reworking it from there. Like that is how artists work as well, right? In terms of like exploring the world around you, you know, creating something, right? <laughs> Whether it's like painting or music or whatever, you know, writing, reworking it, and then moving on. Um, so I think there's a lot of overlap for sure. Um, yeah. But and I your love comments. That. No, yeah. I do too. Um, and your comments around scientists being some of the most fascinating people. Um, I sat next to Bruce Butler once. Um, he's in like a prize winner. Okay. And he, um, he asked me, oh, where are you from? And I said, oh, Southern California. And he was born and raised in Southern California too. And I said, oh, but I moved to DC because there's more history in DC. And he schooled me instantaneously yep. about California history and what has happened. And, and I'm just looking at him going, you are a Nobel Prize winning scientist and you just owned me on history. I mean, that was, and he just had all of these facts in his mind and it was just yeah. amazing. But at the same time, it was like, oh my goodness, you are brilliant and just an encyclopedia. Oh yeah, no, people that are able to just like hold all these different identities within themselves are absolutely the most fascinating people, right? Um, yeah, I think that's probably like the other, the other advice I would give to like aspiring STEM people is like cultivate interests outside of STEM too, cultivate interests outside of research, like, you know, go take a painting class, go, you know, go for a hike or whatever, like volunteer, I don't know, volunteer at an animal shelter, like do whatever interest you outside of the laboratory, outside of the research context, outside of the science context. Because the other thing is like, I think that can really, you know, there's high rates of burnout, right, within our field as well. And so both in terms of a 
giving yourself exposure outside of it, right, to help make you a better rounded person in addition to being a better rounded scientist, but also just like managing, I think, the stress levels that we have in, in these, you know, scientific fields. Um, I think that's really important to be able to. And the other thing is like, you know, I, it goes both ways, right? Because I think that scientists can learn a lot from different fields, but then you can kind of apply your scientific thinking and training to those fields in an interesting way too. Um, so yeah, no, that's really cool that you got to meet um, a Nobel Prize winner and learn about history from him. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yes, uh, yes. No, he was he was fabulous. Um, and I think the, the other piece that I would add to your point is soft skills. Like yes. soft skills and the ability to leverage soft skills outside of the laboratory. That's not something that's cultivated in a laboratory yeah. um, at all. Uh, but in other fields, it is. And so that is definitely an outlet for that because that could cause some high degree of burnout, too, because you're just not dealing with people who are people, people. Yes. And honestly, it's always so weird to me that we call them like soft skills versus hard skills, right? When like, when we talk about soft skills, we're usually just being able to, we're usually just talking about like the ability to like, talk to, understand, and empathize with other people in effective ways. And I think that that is absolutely critical for anyone that wants to have any sort of impact in a scientific field, even if you're just like a PI hold away in a lab, right? Like the best PIs that I've had and that I've seen have been able to work with their team, right? And the worst PIs that I've had or that I've seen are the ones who don't quite understand how to handle people and work with people, not only in the sense of like their specific laboratory team, but also in the sense of like, you're writing a bunch of like jargony scientific articles that are like super dense, super hard to read, right? Like even people that like care about your, you know, topic are gonna have a really hard time absorbing it. And so if anything, I think that these like, quote unquote, soft skills, right, the ability to like communicate effectively, the ability to understand other people, the ability to, you know, take what someone is telling you, right, both in terms of information, but also like maybe what they need from you as a scientist, as a researcher, and like comprehend that, like fully comprehend that before, you know, responding. Um, I think those are absolutely critical to being effective in a scientific field. And it's uh, very unfortunate that our pipeline for training scientists does not focus on that at all, um, truly. And I think that's also changing, to be fair. I think, again, with like a younger generation of scientists, uh, you know, you have more of that kind of like cross-training, more of that interest in policy, in like people work, in, you know, but I, I mean, I'd be curious, like, what your impression is about whether that's, like, a more, like, top-down thing, if that makes sense, from, like, the universities and the structure and the training structure itself versus, like, just people, I think just young people that, you know, with the internet especially, like, have more exposure to ways of thinking beyond, yeah. <laughs> I think there's, there's that in addition to it's going to take a couple of cycles for the young people to actually get into positions in which they are driving that cultural change. Yeah. Um, as more and more PIs reach retirement age, 
and leave. They are the ones who had training, you know, back in the day where there were no women and that it was just, you were in the lab for 14 hours a day, seven days a week. And that's not what science is now. That's not what work-life balance is now. Um, And so I think it's going to take some time. And I'm definitely seeing that change with, um, especially seeing like women in the workforce, in the STEM workforce, you're seeing that wave of change, but it's going to take some time. Um, It's unfortunate, but I think I, I definitely see it. Um, yeah. And that's also part of like our mission at STEM from, frankly, of thinking through, you know, what are those considerations you need to think about when you are thinking about a PhD program? It's not just the research. Yes, that yeah. is crucial, but it is your lab. It is your PI. Yeah. It is the city you are located in. It is the network of your PI. Um, all of those are huge contributors to um, yep. your future career growth post PhD um most masters frankly so uh, this was a fabulous conversational mall i i appreciate you so much um you have such an amazing background um and such a fruitful future i mean you're gonna do some really really cool stuff i foresee it um thank you so much it's very very kind of you no yeah of course yeah no this has been a great conversation and you are uh, a bountiful font of wisdom, frankly, at a young age. So there you go. You probably will not hear that for a very long time, but you will not. <laughs> <laughs> um, with that, thank you to our listeners for, for tuning in. And always remember to ask yourself, where's your journey stem from? Thanks, everyone.